0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to <coughs> dive into the Scriptures. For today, in this season of waiting. We are anticipating celebrating your resurrection, and yet your life is with us always. Pray today as we begin to dive deeper into what your blood means for us, that we can live that out every day. And we ask this in your name, amen. So for the last two weeks, I've been talking about the importance of blood. I know the importance of my own blood. I need that to send nutrition and oxygen around my body. We protect our blood. Sometimes we give our blood. My blood donation can help one, maybe two people. Jesus' blood can save the world. But we're shifting up. The last two weeks we've been talking about what Jesus said about his blood. And now, from now through Easter, we're going to look at times when Jesus actually bled. And what does that mean? Has anybody ever heard of a stigmata? Okay, I'm going to explain it a bit this week, and then we're going to refer back to it in the following weeks, but I'm not going to re-explain it every week. Stigmata is when somebody is showing the marks of Christ's crucifixion, usually in their hands, but sometimes also in their hands or in their side. Um, They're showing the marks of Christ's crucifixion, but they have no visible wounds on them. They're simply bleeding from their skin. And sometimes it actually makes a wound, but it, the wound won't ever heal. Um, it's it's supposed to be a very painful thing. It's not something that anybody ever seeks out. It's not considered a miracle. It's it's considered something that happens. You know, just uh, the first person that, that's recorded in history to actually have a stigmata is Francis of Assisi. And he's... Uh, he was in a place where he was contemplating the passion of Christ, the time of Christ going to the cross and going to the cross. and what it said, what history tells us is he saw a vision of Christ on the cross and um, and it was that vision of Christ on the cross was so impressed on him that he began to show those marks himself. Um, he had done this after a period long period of of, of fasting and and so they they don 't know how these marks came to be, but they never he, he bled I believe for the rest of his life, but they never became infected or anything like that now, why did this appear in the thirteenth century? Well, part of the answer seems to be that of the the theological studying trends of the time the the church in Francis' time, actually began to seriously think about what does it mean that Jesus was human? What does it mean that God had a body? And there's actually a feast day now on the Roman Catholic calendar called Corpus Christi. It's the body of Christ feast day. So that's when that began to be in the mind of the church. What does it mean that Jesus had a body and that he suffered? And that's when we start to see artistic renditions of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross and Jesus' bodily suffering. And so I'm going to read you a series of verses. Now, these are taken out of context. But think about this. If people are studying the, the, bodily, the body of Christ and Christ's suffering on the cross, and then you come across these verses. 1 Peter 2.21 For you were called to this... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 13. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Two more. Philippians three ten. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And one more, 2 Corinthians 4.10. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. So, I've just done a bunch of cherry picking of verses, but... Can you imagine somebody is maybe for the first time in their life after actually thinking about Christ had a body and Christ suffered and maybe start looking at these verses, I'm supposed to suffer like Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to suffer in my body like exactly as Christ suffered? There's been, uh, here's something that's interesting with stigmata. People who have claimed that, and there's been a lot of people who, who it's been shown to be a hoax. Not, not, but not everybody. Um, when people uh, have marks in their hands of the crucifixion, it always reflects what they've seen in art, not in archaeology. Art shows a nail going through the palm, archaeology says the nail was put through the wrist. So people are being influenced by what they know, by what they've seen. And when we really look at the life of Francis, his mark of Christ was not stigmata. His mark of Christ was, he was known to be humble. Francis was known to be generous. Francis was known to care for God's creation. Those were his marks of Christ. But he had this other thing as well where he bled. So I'm going to refer back to over the next couple of weeks other people who had this stigmata because we want to look at what does it really mean to have the mark of Christ's blood on me? What does it mean to have the marks of Christ's blood on me? The first mark of having Christ's blood is having the will to obey God the Father. The first mark of having Christ's blood on me is having the will to be God the Father. If you want to open up your Bibles or turn on your phones, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Luke chapter 22 is when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. This is the first time that we read about Jesus bleeding. Okay, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. He went out, this is Jesus, and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. If you're following along in your notes, the first thing we see is we're going to talk about a battle of will. There's a battle of will. There is a medical condition. It's very rare. And I will try and pronounce this as best I can. Hematodrosis. Okay, I've got a nurse nodding, so I got it pretty close. Hematodrosis. This is this is uh, bleeding from your skin without a wound, with no wounds. Basically, you're you're bleeding out of your sweat glands, sweat your pores. And this is what Jesus is said to have before his crucifixion. Um, The artist Leonardo da Vinci wrote about a soldier who had bloody sweat after a battle. No wounds, but he's bleeding in his sweat. It's a very rare medical condition uh, that causes you to ooze or sweat blood from your skin when you're not cut or injured. Only a few handful of these cases were confirmed in medical studies in the 20th century. But people who have hematidrosis may sweat blood from their skin, and it usually happens around the face. But the skin might also be bleeding inside the lining of your body, like in your nose, mouth, or stomach. Um, Doctors don't know exactly what triggers it because it's so rare. But they think it could be related to your body's fight-or-flight response. And I'm getting this from WebMD. That's why I'm just reading straight here. What they think happens is tiny blood vessels in the skin break open. The blood inside them gets squeezed through the sweat glands, um, and then um, these collect and leaks into the follicles. It can come out also where, where your hair grows. Um, they said sometimes it seems to be caused by extreme distress or fear, such as facing death or torture or severe ongoing abuse. It's probably where the term sweating blood, meaning great effort, comes from. The last recorded case that we have in a medical journal was from October uh, 2017. And um, it was published in a Canadian medical journal. A 21-year-old woman uh, checked in with this symptom, seemingly without cause. She had no visible broken skin, but she was uh, often bleeding without warning. And they, it is intensified during times of stress. So that's what we're dealing with here. A stressful situation. Jesus is in a battle of the will. He, Jesus is absolutely aware of his coming death. He's been telling his disciples for quite a while now, I'm going to be... Taken by the, the chief priest. I'm going to be killed. He's been telling this plainly. So he knows his death is coming. He knows the means of his death. He knows how Romans kill people. Everybody knows that. We're going to find this later when we actually get to the crucifixion. The What we know about how people got crucified is from archaeology. The gospel writers don't describe the crucifixion. Because it would be like us saying... We don't have to describe a hanging, because we all know what a hanging is. They don't describe the crucifixion. They say he was crucified, because everybody at their times knew exactly what that was. So even in Jesus' humanity, if he limited his foreknowledge, his ability to know the future, he knew how Romans executed people, and he knew it would be executed by the Romans, because the Jews could not execute anybody. And Jesus knew prophecy. You know, after his resurrection in Luke 24, 25 through 26, Jesus is walking on the road with the disciples to Emmaus and he says to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter in his glory? So, Jesus knew the Messiah was supposed to suffer, he said it was in the prophets. It's in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew Psalm 22. He quotes from it on the cross. Psalm 22:14. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. Jesus knew what was coming. Would that stress you out? Yes. And so in a stressful situation, Jesus first asked his disciples, Hey, support me in prayer. I'm dealing with something very stressful. I know torture and death is coming pray with me and he is actually in some ways of two opposing minds here you ever tried to make a decision and you're trying to figure out should we do this or do this Jesus on the one hand he asked the father if he was willing to remove the cup he says father if I don't have to suffer I don't really want to this is not this does not sound fun <laughs> but he's also on the other side Willing to obey the Father in anything. I don't want to do it, but I'll do anything you want me to do. That's what Jesus is dealing with right now. So much so that it says he's in anguish. Literally, we could also describe that as he's in agony. It's it's not just a physical pain there. Usually this word is also used for a mental struggle. Like, and it's used for wrestling. I don't know if you ever wrestled anybody. You don't ever, you can't ever let up. (laughs) As soon as you let up, you lose. It made me think of when I saw that word as like Jacob in the Old Testament wrestling with God in prayer. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Jesus is wrestling in prayer with himself. I want to obey God in everything. I don't want to die. And the result of this is this extremely rare situation of hematodrosis. His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how stressed he is. Now, I certainly hope nobody here is experiencing extreme distress or fear, such as facing death or torture or severe ongoing abuse. But I do know these things happen. I want you to know, I try my best to be, and the church community is a safe place. Um, you don't have to stay in bad situations. <coughs> don't stay in an abusive situation. But you know, even if, when it's not that extreme for us, we all have to deal with stress, and we all have to deal with decision-making. I I, we all have pain and we all have anticipation. Sometimes we worry and fear. It's been interesting with the demographics of our church and you know, we've got some people in their twenties and we've got some people like in their seventies. And here's the thing. I think the twenty year olds and seventy year olds need to be in the same small groups because you have some of the same issues. Where will I live? I hear that from the young people. I hear it from the old people. Where am I going to live? How am I going to pay for my expenses? Um, What can I do to stay mentally and physically healthy? I think our 70-year-olds could help our 20-year-olds plan, and our 20-year-olds can give the 70-year-olds some courage to maybe step up to the challenge we all deal with these stressful and I'm saying these decisions are they're not easy and Jesus understands that Hebrews 4.15 tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin Jesus struggled to the point of sweating blood he knows what it's like to struggle You know, it's difficult to win a battle of the wills against another person. My youngest daughter, I'm finding, is very strong willed. She can be super sweet and she can yell like anybody. How much more difficult is it to win a battle of the will against self? But the battle of wills we see with Jesus is one with two components. <clears throat> The first is the will to pray. Jesus had the will to pray. When I went to Israel, I got a chance to go to uh, this church. It's at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. It's, uh, uh, it's where there's still an olive grove. It's called the Church of All Nations or the Church of Agony. It's where they believe the the garden was where Jesus prayed. And there's it's kind of a cool thing they've done. It's this nice... Stone, I think marble or granite floor, except for this big area where there's just rock, a natural rock formation in the ground that they have not covered over with tile. And that's where people commemorate that Jesus might have laid down and bowed down and prayed right there. So people come to that place to pray. You know, Jesus goes to pray. He, he goes to pray alone. He moves a, a, you know, a stone's throw away from the disciples. It says he's kneeling. So he's, he's not just up. He's, he's down on his knees. He's wrestling in prayer, as I said before, like Jacob wrestled with God all night. Jesus is going to wrestle with God with this until Judas comes. And he has to be supernaturally strengthened angels come and strengthen him so he can continue in his prayers. <clears throat> and with that renewed strength, what does he do? He prays more fervently. And Jesus had asked his disciples to pray with him. <clears throat> but instead, the disciples had fallen asleep. We get from the other Gospels, like Matthew twenty six forty one. Jesus, when he sees them sleeping, he says, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He says he realizes they're not able to be as fervent in prayer as he is yet. They want to be, but they can't do it yet. So there's another thing in the Church of Agony that I found when I was there. Everybody had kind of gathered around where where... <clears throat> the spot where they believe Jesus might have prayed. But there's this other rock outcropping in a corner. And I went over there, and I sat down in it. And it was smooth, and it was on the floor, and it felt just like a, a chair, a recliner on the ground. And it was about a stone throw away from that other spot. And I told my friend Sean, another pastor, I said, I could fall asleep right here. This rock out company was was so comfortable. I said, I could just sleep right here. And Jesus could be praying right there. <laughs> I saw how easy it was to just be weak. It says the disciples were exhausted from grief and sorrow. We don't know for sure what they were grieving, but Jesus had told them that he would die And I think even more importantly perhaps, Jesus had told them that one of them would betray him and they didn't know who it was. They didn't even know if it was them. They were asking Jesus, Is it me? They might have been grieving themselves. I'm going to maybe betray Jesus. But instead of fighting through it in prayer, they were just, they couldn't do anything. They just fell asleep. I'll deal with this tomorrow too stressed out the disciples fell asleep that night but after they had the mark of Christ's blood on them they gathered in prayer until the coming of the Holy Spirit and thousands believed in Jesus the disciples prayed while they were in prison until angels released them they learned to be fervent in prayer that was their mark never says that the disciples sweated blood but they learned how to pray. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray constantly. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18, 7 through 8, he tells us in the parable of of the unjust judge, he says, Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's asking his, Jesus says, when I come back, am I going to find you praying or sleeping? Am I going to find you praying or sleeping? You know, this is the first week, you don't have to raise your hand, This is the first week that I didn't put out reminders about the, our weekly prayer calendar on Facebook. How did you do? I'm only going to put the reminders up there once a month from now on. Is Jesus going to find us praying or sleeping? Because prayer is a command and those that, those who are marked with Christ's blood can obey. So there's the will to pray and the second thing is there's the will to obey. The will to obey. Jesus prays and his words are nevertheless not my will but yours be done. Jesus doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to be tortured. He's not looking forward to the next 24 hours or so. But he says... He's about God's will. He's about God the Father's desires. He's about God the Father's pleasures, not His own. It's a, the verb tense is present imperative. What Jesus is saying is, not my will, but God the Father, your will is being done. Not I'm going to do it. It's happening right now and will continue to happen. It's the same way as when we say the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, thy will be done. Not in the future, now. <laughs> and so when Judas does come and the soldiers are there, we see what Jesus has come to in John eighteen eleven, At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Remember his prayer was, if you could take this cup away, but by the time the soldiers are there, he's like, That's my cup. I think in our society, sometimes we think it takes a strong will to disobey. And sometimes it does. But a true strong will is for obedience to righteousness. See, I'd like to see myself sometimes when I'm being disobedient as Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks I'm standing up against the powers that are (laughs) oppressing. And we certainly need to, when we do that, we need to be sure we are being like Jesus. Absolutely, we need to stand up against injustice. But the thing is, anybody can disobey. That's the easy part. But it takes an act of will to obey. It takes the mark of the blood of Jesus to obey God. So think about this. On the cross, what does Jesus say? John nineteen twenty eight. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. Give me the cup. He wants the cup. The woman at the well is there to have her thirst quench. Give me the cup, Jesus. I'm going to invite Paul to come up and play here. I want everybody to understand what we're about to do and what we're not doing here. We are not serving the Lord's table right now. So, You don't have to participate. Now you can see down, it's just Paul. I am, uh, what we are doing today is offering a cup. See, today, if you are stressed, if you are perhaps wrestling with God in some area of obedience, And if you're looking to take that first step of being fervent in prayer, or the very first step of saying Jesus is Lord, I'm going to invite you today to both literally and symbolically take the cup of obedience. Be marked with the blood of Jesus. In Mark 10, Jesus said to his disciples, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am to be baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. You can drink the cup. So if you are being move today into a new level of obedience or a new level of prayer. I invite you now, as Paul and Emma play, you can take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord.
1: From with.
0: Take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving and shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As the Israelites did in the wilderness, when they tested God and they tried God, even though they had seen what he had done. For 40 years, God was disgusted with that generation. And he said, these are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. But today, Lord, we as a church long to enter your rest, your peace. This is all understanding. we take the cup of salvation and call upon your name to revive your church. Amen.